Welcome to the very first episode of Japanese with Friends, the podcast where we talk about learning Japanese, experiences in Japan, and overcoming language learning hurdles with friends. Brought to you by Risu Press and Japan Switch. I'm your host, Colton Narabeski, and today we're here with Tyson Bettino. Together, we're going to be running this show as a partnership. Some quick background about who we are. I run Risu Press at risupress.com. We're the market leader for kanji posters, and we also support students looking to live and study in Japan at a Japanese language school. You can see our products and programs at risupress.com. You may be familiar with some of Tyson's work as he's a multi-talented entrepreneur in Tokyo, responsible for sites like Japan Switch, BFF Tokyo, and OneCoin English. Never standing still, he's been the behind the scenes driver of a lot of success running online businesses in Japan. And I'm very excited today to be able to interview him and get a look into his background learning Japanese, how he hacked the JLPT and his outlook on the market for foreign talent in Japan going forward. Tyson, why don't you go ahead and give yourself a quick self-intro, introduce who you are, uh, what you do, and why you're here. Hey, Colton. Glad to be on the podcast and glad to be co-hosting this podcast with you moving on forward. Uh, my name is Tyson Batino. I'm originally from Hawaii. I've been in Japan for about 15 to 16 years. Uh, I passed the JLPT1 about 12 or 13 years ago. And I live in Yokohama City. Uh, I run, or I founded uh, three companies. And I founded with two Japanese co-founders. We made a school chain called OneCoin English. We have 11 schools in Tokyo and over 200 employees. Uh, I was the HR director there. Then I stepped down. Sorry, I stepped down. And then I decided to create a subsidiary company called Japan Switch, which provides the most affordable daytime Japanese lessons in Tokyo and now online. And for today's talk, I'm here to talk about the techniques I've used and heard on how you can hack your JLPT score. To start off, let's talk about your early days learning Japanese. What got you interested in even learning the language in the first place? Well, for me, I'm actually uh, half Japanese. I'm half Okinawan. Oh, seriously? So that was, I would say, was getting to know my roots was the main reason. And uh, I am a little bit embarrassed to admit it, but uh, I do like people of the opposite gender of my race. So that, <laughs> was that a, a driving motivation in your younger days to learn Japanese? I would say definitely in my 20s. Uh, I would say I've graduated and uh, I'm happily married, but uh, now I have a much more open-minded view. But in my 20s, that was my two main motivational points. But uh, it has changed over time, actually. I would say after, or I would say especially after I got N1 and when I achieved an advanced level, it switched to, I, I personally feel that if you can only speak one language fluently, you're a little bit limited in your experience of life. And also if you, I'll say even if you can speak another Western culture, I'll say you're still limited to an extent because they're often based upon, uh, let's say, some culture, some language long time ago. But I think if you learn something like Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, something completely different to your own culture, 
I think it makes you see the world in a different way. And that's what motivates me to continue learning the language. Awesome. How integral has Japanese been for your career in Japan? You've obviously done a bunch of different things.、Um, you, you know, was Japanese necessary to get your foot in the door and, and start working in Japan? I would say yes if you.、Uh, Yes, if you want to get your foot in the door in Japan and you don't have a highly needed skill that does not require you to speak Japanese. So, if you're a programmer, you don't really need to learn Japanese, to be honest. Or if you're a very high level,、uh, of, let's say, UX, UI designer, or even marketer, you're probably good to go. But for anyone else, you pretty much need Japanese. Uh, as for an entrepreneur, I found it very useful in the sense that、uh, I can create a business that targets Japanese customers as opposed to just only focusing on Western or English speaking customers. Interesting.、Um, yeah, no, I, I ran into the same thing very much. Like,、uh, even when I was coming to Japan, it was.、Uh, Yeah, you, you need to learn Japanese before you actually get into the country to, to start working、uh, for the most part, unless you're coming in as a highly skilled、uh, employee. I met a couple of people who came in as like VP level and presidents of companies and stuff brought over from like their American location, but that's, that's not as common for,、uh, for most people who aspire to actually end up in Japan. It tends to be a consequence of their job in that circumstance.、Um, and most of them,、uh, let's say, they have a translator or interpreter with them. Exactly.、So、they、yeah. don't really need to learn the language like you and me. 100%. So, yeah, if you're,、uh, if you're a normal person、uh, and you aspire to live in Japan, you had better start studying Japanese. <laughs>、um, with, with us, preferably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Now, when you were younger, did you、uh, aspire to be an entrepreneur? You know, like taking the Japan part of the, out of the equation, it's,、uh, it's quite a unique position you find yourself in to be kind of running a bunch of different businesses at once. I would say people who know me are probably surprised. <laughs> And、uh, the main reason was、uh, actually, probably since high school, I was planning to become a psychologist. Wow. And、uh, a lot of the things I learned is very applicable to management and leadership. But、uh, needless to say, I did not become a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Interesting. Um, yeah, so how did, you, how did you come about running businesses in Japan? Like, obviously, you were working at companies and、uh, you kind of graduated from the position that you were in, but most people, when they do that, they simply switch jobs. You took kind of a, a different path and started something from scratch, it sounds like.、Uh, yes. So, I've actually worked in a corporate setting and in a government setting. And、uh, for myself,、uh, I guess what drives me is.、Uh, Having the power to make my own decisions. And in those environments, although the things I worked on impacted a lot of people, it didn't feel,、uh, I guess you'd say natural, it didn't feel like it was for me. And for that reason, I dove, or I dove into,、uh, I kind of felt after、uh, three, four years in the corporate life that、uh, I wanted to try to develop my own business. Even though I had no idea what it meant at the time,、uh, maybe around eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. Wow. 
All right, I'm going to pivot for half a second here and uh, kind of dive into a slightly different topic. I've heard a rumor that you took the JLPT only one time. And in fact, it was the N1 and you passed on your first try. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Actually, it is a true story and it's, uh, I'm very proud of the fact <laughs> that I have not financially supported the JLPT. <laughs> so I, yes, I've, I only took it once. I passed on my first try and never took it again. Good for you, man. That's and crazy. The main reason was uh, I was a low paid English teacher and I wanted to save my money for travel. Fair enough. Wow. Frugality is a motivator. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, okay, that's, that's pretty intense though. So I, I think, you know, 90% of the people listening to this uh, have or intend to uh, challenge the GLPT at some point. Most people typically start, you know, maybe N5. A lot of people start at N4 level, and then they kind of take the the various levels all the way up to N1. Uh, even myself, like I, I took N2. Um, it's the only time I've ever taken the JLPT, and uh, and that was it for me. Um, how did you get the N1 figured out on your first try? Like even, you know, with a lot of study, that's a that's a fairly tall mountain to climb uh, without knowing what the JLPT is like from having taken it previously. So I do have to admit, uh, I did take practice tests. Yeah, okay, that's that's uh, different than taking like the real test, though. True, and it's uh, it's not like I showed up one day and uh, magically everything came to me and I passed the test. <laughs> no, it's uh, um, it involved taking the practice test uh, many times, and uh, I knew where I was, and uh, because I took the practice test, I knew where I stood. Yeah. And I think uh, I, pa I passed the JLPT one in practice tests in test settings around five times in a row before the actual test. Okay, so five is like the magic number to hit. If you if you can do five random practice tests, you probably get a pretty good shot of passing it. That is correct. And actually, I'm not <laughs> sure if everyone here knows this, but you can actually uh, purchase uh, the tests of previous years. So you can actually take official tests from previous years. Actually, I had no idea. That's interesting. So it's uh, the organization that uh, makes the test actually uh, publishes the book as well. Okay. So quick shot before we carry on about the JLPT. Do you like the JLPT? Do you think it's a, a worthwhile investment of your time? So I have a very complicated relationship with the JLPT. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, first off, other people value the JLPT, therefore I value the JLPT. Fair enough. I feel the same way about university degrees. Exactly the same too. Uh, so, um, so I will say that uh, having the JLPT N1 on my resume opened doors that would not have been opened mm -hmm. as someone who did not have a network. So if you're just someone yeah. who's applying to jobs, you don't know anyone in high places or you're in a completely new area or it would say you're new to Japan, having that on your resume immediately, uh, let's say, it's like winning an award. So it provides <laughs> you some street cred. Without okay, but hold on a sec. Is it the same way if you come from another Asian country? So if you come from China, for example, and you got the JLPTN one, do you think it carries the same cred? 
Uh, I think it depends on the position. In some cases, it's, uh, I would say if you're Chinese or Korean, they may expect you to have that. So if you're Chinese or Korean and you have N3, it's like, what's wrong with this person? <laughs> okay, so if it's you're a Westerner, like, it's yeah. uh, because, let's say, we have lower ex. I would say we have lower expectations in Japanese ability for Westers, mm -hmm. which is actually based on reality. So don't get offended there. But uh, so um, yes, there's different expectations for different races. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I ran into the same thing many times. I met quite a few people with uh, JLPT N1, but you wouldn't know it's speaking to them because they can't string together a sentence. That is also very true. And uh, yeah. the reason is to get N1, it's uh, you need to know how to take a test. And two, you need to know a lot of information that's not directly related to speaking. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, given what it is, it's it's a litmus test to a certain degree uh, for language ability, but it's not. Yeah, you're not certified uh, fluent in Japanese. I don't think with N1 even. They have a um, speaking test out there, but uh, I would say most companies actually don't know about it. Yeah, nor do they care, even if they did know about it. That is true, and uh, I, I say true. that as somebody from Canada who took the TOEIC at my company. <laughs> <laughs> It's English hope, test day. I hope I hope they paid for it. <laughs> oh, they sure did. It was during uh, office hours, but yeah, okay. that was that was a painful experience. Believe it or not, hundred percent. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who didn't get one hundred percent, and uh, let's say it lowered his salary. <laughs> yeah. No. So okay. Full disclosure: I was working at Hitachi at the time, and uh, it was like a big thing happening where they wanted to switch the whole company to English. It was like the trend for a couple of years. Rakuten was doing it. And uh, yeah, the, the higher ups were going to forfeit certain portions of their bonus if they didn't like get a certain score on the TOEIC and it was freaking everybody out. So oh, I was actually, very popular in the office for a short while. <laughs> my friend is actually American <laughs> and he didn't get a perfect score. Oh man, that's embarrassing. So uh, advice to anyone, avoid taking the TOEIC <laughs> yeah. even if you're a native speaker. Interesting. I wonder how many uh, Japanese natives have taken the JLPT. Yeah, that's, I don't know anyone, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so today I did want to uh, share my experiences on how to hack the JLPT. Yeah, what, what does that mean, hacking the JLPT? So it's uh, understanding the test and focusing your studies based on what's going to appear on the test and how it's presented. And what okay. I mean by that is uh, how most people study for the test is they'll probably go through one of the many workbooks on how to study for the test. So they'll, let's see, they'll do each section. You'll probably do the book two times or you'll buy a, let's say for the same level, you might buy two, three different books. You'll go through it over and over and over again. And that's uh, what I call the brute force method, which is done by most people. And uh, hacking the JLPT does involve the brute force method because uh, there's no way of avoiding that. But it's also knowing uh, the tools you can use to boost or let's say improve your studying. And I'll say the other 20% is knowing how to handle each section and how to study the things in the book. So to clarify, most people, they just study the book. 
but mm. they don't learn how to study what's in the book. They Tyson, are you like saying that studying Japanese is different than studying <laughs> anything else I've studied? No, I think it's this. I think it's uh, if you know these methodologies, you can yeah. apply the same logic to anything else. But okay, the thing so, is, uh, you're not taught how to study for something. You're just taught yeah, that's that's correct. You like okay, you know, pause. I took the I took the JLPT two, and uh, I did exactly the brute force method. I bought the workbooks. I did them over and over. I made flashcards. I jammed it into my head as hard as I could. Uh, how long it stuck after that, I don't know, but I, I passed, right? Uh, why is that an ineffective method for taking the N1, you know, if you can hack it, if you could just sit down for a month and, and cram? It works, actually. I think it's I actually think the brute force is a good method, but to get to N1, uh, let's say, you would probably want to save a year of your life. Oh, okay. <laughs> and let's say reduce or avoid going insane. So by using the hacks, you'll save uh, probably a year. You could probably save a year. Wow. Okay. So tell me more about these hacks. What were your hacks specifically that you used to, to get the GLPTN one? And actually, how long did it take you to study uh, from like starting to, to pass? Gotcha. Uh, so I guess how long it took me. Uh, uh, I did go to a Japanese language school for nine months to go from N1 or sorry, N2 to N1. Okay. But to get to end, uh, but nine months, and uh, normally it, it would take a year. So it saved me three months in my case. Okay. So you cut it from a year to a pregnancy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that would, uh, sorry, you got me off track. But, uh, and uh, I would say it probably took me about three years while working full time to get to end two. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. That was kind of my experience too. Hmm. So I'll say uh, first off, I think uh, you need to understand where you stand. So mm -hmm. I would recommend you take, uh, before you start, uh, take the, let's say the sample test once just to know where you stand. And more importantly, you need to understand what section is your weak point. Okay. And, uh, and that's probably the area you'll probably need to brute force the most. Yeah. What was your weak point when you started? Mine's was reading speed. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, there's a lot of text to get through. Yeah. Definitely reading speed was a big one for me. I'll, I'll talk about some tips there. But uh, first, you got to take the test, know where you're weak at. Then brute force those areas. And on the other areas, try to learn uh, more effective methods where you could... Uh, use technique as opposed to brute force for your stronger areas. And another thing is you need to know how long each section is. So if you're going to take the test and you don't know how long the listening section is, the reading section is, that's automatically a fail point. You need to know exactly how many questions are coming, which I don't know about the new versions. You need to know how many questions there are and how much time you have to take them. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't, you're going to take the test, you're going to get surprised, or let's say uh, you're going to get caught off guard, a curveball is thrown at you, and you're going to lose your pace. So you really need to understand the pace. So it's like running a marathon. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'll kind of give some tips for people at every section. 
So I think for kanji, uh, so for kanji, unfortunately, you do have to brute force it. There's no other way to learn two or 1865 kanji. <laughs> so I do apologize for that. But uh, so for the beginners out there, my tips are find out what kanji you need to know. I think Risu Press has some uh, stuff that can help you find out. I think there's a poster and other stuff. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so one is so understanding what kanji you need to learn, and I would recommend writing sticky notes and just posting it all over your apartment. So what is a refrigerator uh, color, like, you know, red, blue, green, brown, and just put kanji sticky notes everywhere. And uh, let's say rather than trying to brute force it, study it, just kind of uh, make it a part of your daily living. So I did that. That was uh, all Japanese all the time. Long, long time ago, I used to run a site, uh, I suppose that putting sticky notes in your living environment. That's a great idea. Yeah, uh, I'll say uh, after as a beginner, after you do that, uh, once you start to maybe get 100, maybe 200 kanji on your belt, I'll really start to focus on learning the radicals. And the radicals is uh, it's usually the symbols on the left, or it's uh, Let's say it's a lot of uh, more complicated kanji is a compilation of simpler kanji. And uh, so if you know one, you'll pretty much figure out the rest. So you can kind of guess what the meaning is. And I think uh, one example is, I think the famous one is like you have a tree and I think, uh, what's one like the person laying on the tree means rest. Something yeah, like yes, that. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, you, like you've got the, the different radicals. So you've got the one for person and the one for tree and it's up against it. And voila, that kanji means to take a rest or vacation. Yeah, so that's how you go from uh, probably around 100, uh, I would say probably 200 to probably around, uh, actually, that pretty much will take you all the way. So I think probably once, maybe around 300 to 500, I think things start to click. Like you'll mm -hmm. see the same radicals appear over and over again, and your speed for learning the kanji is the fastest. But to get over that initial hurdle, I definitely recommend the sticky notes. Brute force and sticky notes. Got it. Much. So that's how you get past as a beginner and maybe as a high beginner. But pretty much the high beginner method of knowing the radicals uh, will take you all the way to advance. Cool. All right. So moving on into listening, how do you uh, how do you practice for listening for the JLPT and, and hack that? That just seems like a lot of time you got to spend. Yeah. So what I saw was that most people, they'll just listen to the tests. Uh, they'll just take the tests over and over again. And uh, then uh, I'm not sure if I, I think I figured out it out myself, actually. But let's say other people have come up with idea. But I always recommend that you do take the previous test but you listen to it at a faster speed. So uh, I used the program called Audacity. And uh, what I did is I bought the CD with uh, the listening. Then I just converted the CD to MP3s and I played the MP3s on uh, Audacity, which is free software that still exists. And I'll, first I played it at about, I think 1.2. Then I tried to get around 1.35 to 1.5 times the speed. Interesting. And uh, also I listened to uh, 
I'll say content. I'll say content that probably like I listen to podcasts in Japanese as well, where they'll be talking about like、uh, more technical stuff, like you know, like the weather,、uh, maybe like、uh, let's see. Uh, global warming and stuff like that, and listen to it at a faster speed. So when I took the JLPT N one for listening, I think I got a ninety percent score. Oh wow, good for you. So yeah, so I'd recommend that. And the other one is also、uh, for the listening test. It's、uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. And、uh, so I actually have an ebook on how to hack the JLPT, and、uh, <laughs> we're going to make a second edition. First edition doesn't have, but the second edition should mention、uh, the. I think there's around four to five different types of listening questions. So, for example,、uh, based on this listening type, the answers,、uh, the type of answers that appear changes. And、uh, I know one example is you kind of have to listen for like kind of like the missing word. That's one type of example. The other one is you kind of have to understand the gist of the conversation, and you're going to have to understand what's coming next. And、uh, so, base and usually they'll give you.、Uh, I think they'll. Ex- I think they explain the situation before you actually they start the listening part. And、uh, once you hear that, once you hear them describe that situation, it automatically tells you what the next problem is going to be about. Interesting. So、uh, the combination of those two techniques、uh, helped out. So it's、uh, because I could listen at a faster speed. My brain could process the information faster, and when they asked a general question, or to assume what the person would say or do next,、uh, I could pretty much had enough time to think to process that. Cool.、Uh, and then the third section is the vocab. How did you deal with that? Vocab is also a brute force method,、uh, but、uh, for the Westerners out there,、uh, the good news is that for the katakana, you don't really need to study the katakana words. So the good news is the katakana section, you're good to go. The bad news is that's probably five percent of the test. <laughs> so,、uh, and I'd say the hardest things to learn are hiragana words. So you'll see,、uh, there's a lot of N one words that are especially adjectives. There's a lot of adjectives and some verbs, mainly adjectives that are、uh, hiragana, and、uh, you kind of you just have to brute force them. So to clarify, you don't really need to study katakana; you need to brute force the hiragana words. For the kanji words, are like、uh, the nouns that are usually a combination of、uh, two kanjis. So, for example,、uh, I think、uh, I'm kind of blanking out. But、uh, I think toke like watch is like time measure. So if you combine both of them, it means that. And、uh, also, I think time and interval is just the word for time. But usually, a lot of nouns are a combination of two kanji. And、uh, the good thing is when you know both of them, but you don't know that word, you can actually learn a new word if that makes sense. How so? Uh, for example,、uh, for let's say watch. Let's say I don't know the word watch, but if I know the word time and I know the word measure and I see it as a noun or one word, it's like okay, time measure. Okay, that's probably a watch.、Mm-hmm. So when you take the vocabulary section,、uh, if you just know a lot of kanji, you can probably pass the vocabulary section without knowing all the words because you already know the kanji. So my tips、yeah. would brute force the kanji, brute force hiragana words, 
and uh, then you would kind of just get the words that are kanji based. Does that make sense? Yeah, more or less. It doesn't sound like a hack. It sounds more like you're just going to have to brute force a lot of it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but Interesting. That's, uh, let's see. I guess it's a hack in the sense that uh, you don't need to study every kanji. No, that, that is true. That is true. That is a hack. Because otherwise, like. Sorry, not every kanji. Really... You don't need to study every noun that exists. Well, yeah, I, I tend to think of kanji like in the combinations and, and it can be really intimidating because if you look at, you know, 1800 some kanji all the way up to, you know, about 2000 or so, uh, and then you think of the many permutations of how many combinations those could be in for various words and different pronunciations, it can feel pretty overwhelming. No, I agree. And uh, moving on to reading. Uh, so for the reading section, it's... Uh, so uh, I'll give some hacks later, but the basic tip for the reading is uh, the problem that most Westerners have with the reading section is accuracy. So a lot of foreigners, you'll read the section and you probably have like a 60% understanding like, oh yeah, I think I, I think I get it. I think I understand what it means, but it doesn't often translate to answering the right answer for the reading question. And the, how Westerners can solve that problem is there's a lot of books nowadays where they have the English and they have the Japanese side by side. So I think especially if you're around like N3 level, I'll start diving really hard into those books to improve your reading accuracy because at N2, N1 level, you really need accuracy as opposed to just general knowledge. Yeah. No, 100% agree. I ran into that when I took the N2 even. Ah, uh, gotcha. And yeah. I think for uh, the other problem that Westerners have is that, uh, or it's actually not just Westerners, but it's reading in your head. So you're just reading, uh, you're reading the text and you're vocalizing it. And uh, sorry, but it actually slows down your reading speed and you can't pass N1 doing that. The amount of time you have is too limited to read verbally or, or vocally. Yeah, no, absolutely. You almost have to be able to speed read and be able to skim a sentence and, and pick exactly. up what it's saying. And so uh, I didn't come up with this. I think the JLPT bootcamp website came up with this. So I got to give props to where it goes. But uh, they recommended that uh, you chew gum. <laughs> oh, okay. So you can't vocalize because you're so focused on chewing the gum. That kind of makes sense. I can <laughs> see that. Interesting. All right. Um, we are coming up on time here pretty soon. So I'm going to jump into a quick speed round and uh, just give me your initial reaction uh, to the following. we got over or underrated. So if you think it's overrated or underrated, uh, hey, Sigs, remembering the kanji. I think it's overrated for most people. Okay. I would say if you love Japan, then it's not overrated. If you <laughs> love, love Japan, it's not overrated. Okay, flashcards. Underrated. Homestay programs. Definitely underrated. Cool. Dogs. I'd say uh, small dogs are overrated. <laughs> I agree 100%. Uh, Matsuko Deluxe. Underrated. And uh, I'm actually, uh, I never met her personally. But my company, One Queen English, was featured on her television programs around four times. Oh, that's really so cool. I got to listen to her speak directly into a microphone. 
I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> and uh, she is funny as hell. Yes, she is. And uh, I'll give a quick story, but I actually asked the producer what is her personal pronoun, and it is she. Oh, okay. He there we go. This. Good to know. He didn't uh, want to ask her. And the movie Lost in Translation. Uh, I think it's overrated as a study of culture, but underrated as a comedy. There you go. I like Bill Murray. Um, okay, really quick. You can only choose one forever. Hiragana or kanji? Why? Kanji. Why? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I'll say, it, you really, to understand the culture, you need to understand kanji. That's a good point. I agree. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, where can people find you online? You can find me at japanswitch.com. You can also find me at bfftokyo.com. And if you're looking for a teaching position and you're already in Japan part-time, you can find us at onecoinenglish.com forward slash hire me. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Tyson. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having you on the show again because I've got questions about your uh, businesses that I want to talk about. So we'll do that yeah, another time. We do a round two for those interested in uh, how to create an upper seven figure business in Japan. Sounds good, man. Cool. Have a good one and we will talk soon.